Well, hello, church. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, it's a privilege to bring God's word to you this afternoon. Um, I do not take it lightly and, yeah, would want to say thank you for this opportunity. Um, so we will be in John chapter 12 today. Um, John chapter 12. <clears throat> and the main reason why I've actually chosen to preach from this um, chapter is I am currently going through um, a Bible reading plan called Five Day Reading Plan. And um, Pastor Ryan actually mentioned it to the church last year, and we began it together. Um, it's actually a one-year bad reading plan, but I'm still going through it. Um, I think it's about a year and seven months, or so really slow. Um, but I guess my motto is that rather read deeply as opposed to read speedily. So um, we will be in John chapter 12, and we'll be reading from verses 20 through to 43. John 12, verses 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Philip and, oh, Andrew and Philip went, to told, went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, that The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. And if it, but, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honour him. Now is my soul troubled, and what should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, the voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. 
Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Amen. Amen. Thank you for bearing with me with that long text. Um, I, I will pray and we can get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you that your word gives life to us. And this afternoon, Lord, we are hungry for your word. We are hungry for more of you. Lord, we desire to grow. We desire to look more like your son, Jesus. So help us this afternoon. Help me um, as, as I speak. Um, I pray, Lord, that you um, may help me to be clear and helpful and that you may give us all ears to hear what your word has, has to say to us this afternoon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So the so my title of my message this um, afternoon is The Fear of Man and the Freedom of Justification. So we've just read in John 12 um, that this is a passage in which Jesus enters Jerusalem. Now, we might have, of course, heard of that, but Jesus enters on a donkey and he enters into Jerusalem. And while he's entering Jerusalem, there is people waving palm, palm branches around, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, Christian tradition would say that this day is Palm Sunday. Now, this is the beginning of Holy Week. So this is the last week where we see Jesus die on the cross and be raised on Sunday. And on this Palm Sunday, um, Jesus is welcomed with shouts of praise and adoration, and people are screaming his name. But in mere five days, those shouts of praise will be turned to calls for his crucifixion. Now, the first thing I would like to, to see in a text is the cost of following Jesus. Look with me at verse 25 to 26. Whoever loves his life loses it. Loses, loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So we see in verse 20 that Greeks, so people that were non-Jewish, that were outside of the covenant relationship with God, approached one, one of the disciples of Jesus, namely Philip, and asked that they wanted to see Jesus. They had a desire to want to hear from him, to see him. And of course, um, these Greeks were Gentiles. So there were people outside of the covenant relationship with God. And in that time, in the Roman Greco world, they were actually called God-fearers. So people who essentially um, weren't Jewish um, by ethnicity, but they loved to observe certain religious rites. Uh, but they didn't fully convert to Judaism. And the simple question that they asked was, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And this might allude to the covenant promise that God gave Abraham in Genesis 22. In verses 17, it says, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the, as the stars of heaven and as, a, as a, and as a sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all of the nations be blessed. So in the offspring of Abraham comes the Messiah. And not just the ethnic people of Israel will be blessed, but all nations will be blessed. 
Now, these Greeks pose a question to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, oh, Philip, sorry, um, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip goes to tell Andrew, and both of them inform Jesus. And Jesus responds with verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, this illustration that Jesus is saying here is pretty simple. That a seed or grain that gets put into the ground or planted in the ground is quite similar to um, a, greed, um, a, um, a, a grain or seed um, seeming to die. It sacrifices everything and is lost as it appears. But in reality, the seed must be planted in order to become what it was always meant to be, which is a plant. It would bear fruit. And just as a grain wheat must lose its life to fulfill its ultimate purpose, so do we as believers need to lose their worldly life in order to gain eternity. This doesn't necessarily mean physical death or martyrdom, but rather the willingness to sacrifice everything to follow Jesus. Following Jesus comes with a cost. Now, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, um, the people were waving palm trees because they assumed that the king would be a different king, a different messiah, they probably had in mind that this king would ride out for them on, on, his, on, 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 on a horse and that, and that this king would overthrow Rome and that he would establish the kingdom there and then. But in reality, Jesus is displaying a different type of king. A king who would rule not through conquest, but through his own death. Our Lord, our Lord expanded on this principle to include verse 25. Whoever loves his life loses it loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So our Lord said that the one who loves his own life destroys it. Now when you read that on the surface, you might think, wait, is Jesus telling me that I must hate everything in life? Or does it, does it mean that we should cultivate a hatred for life or that we should essentially hate the goodness of God in this world? And um, that, of course, wouldn't make sense because the chapter before this, Jesus actually restores Lazarus to, to life. So it would be weird for Jesus to believe this and to raise, raise Lazarus back to, uh, back to life. Now, Jesus is speaking in absolute terms. Um, so the point he's making is that loving your life here means delighting in this life, in this world, more than you do God. And you attempt to suck up all of the pleasures and enjoyment in this world without regard to a life to come. So you might go and essentially take stock and take pleasure in all of the things that, that's in this world at the expense of the life to come. And in contrast, hating your life in this world means that you think so little of your life but so much of God, and that you are willing to sacrifice it all for God. So following Jesus entails self-sacrifice. And this is, this is shown supremely at the cross. Jesus lived a life of sacrifice. He came to die. Now that's the point Jesus is making here. True life is found on the other side of death. The other side of the cross, you could say. So Paul, speaking about his union or our union with Christ in Galatians 6, 8, says, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So following Jesus requires death. 
You can't be a follower of Jesus if you haven't first picked up your cross and died to yourself. But the promise here is that when we do lose our life, we will find it and that he will honour us. The writer of Hebrews says that that we should be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who is for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So Jesus has had his joy set before him. And by his eyes set on this joy, he was able to push through and endure the cross. And that's similar to us. When we have the joy that we have in the Lord, when we set our minds on eternity, we are able to push through and endure the cross that we all have to carry. So when we think about what it means to have a fulfilling life or to live our potential as believers or or being the men and women that God has called us to be, all of this begins with death. Death is the initiation, you should say. Death is the coronation. Death to ourselves, death to our own opinions, death to what we want, death to how we think we should live our lives, and we should give our lives over in submission to Jesus. And with Paul the Apostle in Galatians, we might say, I have crucified, with, so I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Now, the second thing I want you to see in this passage is that um, confession should always be a result of belief, or true belief should always produce confession. So look at verse um, 42 with me. It says, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in me, and for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. So amidst all that is happening, people who are in authorities, people who are rulers in high places, started to believe in Jesus. But out of fear of the Pharisees, out of fear of the consequences, they did not confess it. Now I know some some of us have a background in Roman, as um, some of us have a Roman Catholic background. And often when we hear the word confession, we might think of, a confessional booth or a place where you go to when you share your deepest, darkest secrets to a priest, and this priest would, of course, absolve you of your, of your sin. Now, biblically speaking, um, that isn't true, uh, but confession is essentially, um, well, one can think about confession as us confessing our sins to God and to one another. Um, 1 John 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. In James 5, it says that we should confess our sins to one another and pray for one another and that we may be healed. And even in Acts 19, it says that many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. So it's clear that the Bible teaches that when we confess, it's us confessing our sins to God in repentance, confessing our sins to one another for restoration. But what might not seem obvious is that at first, the Bible doesn't just say confession is repentance or confession is linked to sin, but it's also us confessing Christ. So in Luke 12, we hear Jesus say, everyone who confesses me um, before people, the Son of Man, will also confess him before the angels of God. And in 1 Timothy 6, 12 says, Timothy made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And in 1 John 4, 15 says, everyone who confesses that Jesus is the son of God 
God abides in him and he in God. And lastly, in Philippians 2, 9, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is, that, that, that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So confession isn't just us confessing our sins to God, but us confessing what we truly believe to be true. And that being that Jesus is Lord, Christ is King. That's what confession is. So confession isn't just us confessing sin, but it's really acknowledging something deeply and having to say about it. Now, this is true about most of life. So what happens when you watch a new movie or watch a really good TV show? And what happens if you read a great book that's, that's life-transforming? Um, and what happens when you listen to that amazing album from that amazing artist? What naturally happens is that you naturally want to share it. Um, be, it would be weird if I saw a sunset and I would fail to tell someone who's near me, saying, look, look at this. This is a natural part of our lives. This is what happens in us. This is the way the Lord has wired us. And it's, and it's actually frustrating for us to enjoy something and we have to keep it to ourselves. So, so C.S. Lewis in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, he says, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not only merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. So if you enjoy something really, really a lot, then you would want to share it. And if you can't share it, then it's actually frustrating. And C.S. Lewis is saying here is that it's not just an expression, but it completes that joy. So here, Lewis is, is linking between enjoyment and praise, and that often enjoyment always overflows into praise. We can't help but praise and rejoice in what we enjoy. And Lewis continues, or C.S. Lewis continues, it is not out, it's not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. They delight, so their, so their delight is incomplete till it's expressed. So when I say to Michelle that she's beautiful, I'm not saying that to kind of give her an ego boost or to compliment her. Often is that enjoyment should flow out of that. It completes it. Now, this is quite challenging because if we're honest, most of us have hesitance to share Christ, especially in our workplaces when there's a lot of politics, you rather just do your work and go home. Um, but if we are to be enjoyers of God, then we also should be sharers of God. God has wired us to be enjoyers of him and sharers of him. And the object of our enjoyment will inevitably be on our tongue as we share it. So if I am so into Tottenham Hotspur Football Club, I will probably most likely share it. Um, if I am into um, the newest, latest album, I will share it. Now the, now, the challenging thing is, is that if we feel no desire to share Christ, if we have no motivation to speak about him, then maybe then the Lord hasn't become that enjoyment that he ought to be. Maybe something else has taken its place. and Maybe we have taken our eyes off the Lord and to something that's lesser, a lesser joy. And this is the essence of what idolatry actually is. Uh, one of the first commandments says um, that you should not have any you should not have any gods apart before me. 
So only when we turn from lesser joys and enjoy the, the, the God we say we enjoy, um, out of that flows confession. And lastly, um, the first thing I would like to, for you to see in the text is that justification is what the Lord uses in, in a believer's life to set them free from the fear of man. Um, look at verse 43 with me. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So here John goes on to say that the authorities, the people that are rulers, believe in Jesus, but they actually loved the glory that came from men more than the glory that came from God. And when we think about what it means to be justified, so justification is a, is, is a word that doesn't really be used in today's modern context, but what it actually essentially means is that God has declared us righteous, legally righteous in Christ. So when we put our faith in Jesus, when we trust Jesus, the Lord sees us as righteous, which is amazing. And people think about justification as the way you go into Christianity. So when you first get saved, you might say, oh, amen, I am righteous, praise God. And then you kind of move on to other things. You see it as more sort of as a spark, and then you do what you need to do from then on. But it's more so as an engine that keeps on running, or keeps us running, till we go home. So when we ponder on the amazing realities that, that, that the God of the universe, the one who has created all things, every galaxy and star, even, even this week, um, NASA released images of kind of the, the stars of the sky and, and the galaxies. And I just kept thinking about Psalm, Psalm 19.1, that, that this displays the glory of God. And I have friends who are not believers that were wild at this. They were like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And that awe is actually what the Lord says we should, we should be pointed at him. All of the glories that we see in the universe, all of the stars should point us to him. And this person, this being, says that we are accepted and that we are loved. Once you reflect on that, once you deeply have, are, are settled by that truth that the God of the universe accepts you in Christ, that the God of the universe loves you and is even pleased with you in Jesus, because his opinion is so far greater than any opinion of man, that allows us to walk through the day with boldness. I don't have to go into work and have to act a certain way to carry the favour of my boss or make sure I say, not, say the, not say the wrong thing and say the right thing when I'm around my colleagues because ultimately God, the creator of all things, the creator of you and me, says that I'm loved, I'm accepted, I'm embraced in Jesus. So, so tomorrow morning when you log into that Zoom call, I know some, some of us work remotely, but some of us work in, work in person, um, understand that the God of the universe has already declared you righteous. And if you are a believer in Jesus, this is exclusively for believers, there is nothing that you can do to make the Lord love you less, and there's nothing that you can do to make the Lord love you more. This is freeing, because in this world, we're wired to act, to, like, yeah, for example, me and my, my parents, or me and my friends, if I do something 
again and again and again, ultimately they're going to be frustrated with me and probably leave me, or leave me alone or kind of um, tell me to get out. But we have a heavenly father who loves us, that isn't moved by even our rebellion, and he isn't moved by our obedience. This is fixed. This love that the Lord has for us is fixed. And this is something that can free us to be faithful witnesses in our workplaces and in our, in our lives. So God has set his affections upon you. That's done. And that means you don't need to fear what men think of you. Um, there was a man called um, Hu Latimer who lived um, between 1487 and 1555. Uh, Hu Latimer was an English bishop um, and once preached to the fearful and the scary um, King Henry VIII. And of course, King Henry VIII had many wives and many mistresses, I'm sure you are aware. And Charles Spurgeon describes the story of his life like this. So it was custom of, so it was the custom of the court preacher to present the king with something on his birthday. So Latimer presented Henry VIII with a pocket handkerchief with this text in the corner. Whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. A very suitable text for Bluff Harry, meaning Henry VIII. And then he preached a sermon before this scary King Henry VIII about the sins of lust. And he delivered himself with tremendous force, not forgetting or abridging the personal application. Now, the king was not pleased with this. Can you imagine the king being on his throne and the person preaching is preaching everything that you are basically doing? So the king, as you would expect, was not pleased. And he told Latimer that I want you to preach again the next week. But this time, I want you to apologize to me publicly. Latimer thanked him and said, okay, sir. <laughs> and then the next Sunday rolled up, rolled, rolled, rolled up. And then the following Sunday arrived. Latimer climbed into the pulpit and said these unforgettable words. And he was speaking to himself in third person. Who Latimer? So himself. Thou art this day to preach before the high and mighty Prince Henry, King of Great Britain and France. If thou sayest one single word that pleases him, his majesty will take thy head off. Therefore, mind, thou, thou, mind what thou art saying. And then he goes on. But then he said, Who Latimer, thou art this day to preach before the Lord God Almighty, who was able to cast both the body and soul into hell, and so tell the king the truth outright. So in this scenario, Hulatimo is preaching, not just to King Henry VIII and all of his guards, but he's preaching to the king of the universe. And you can imagine it, him preaching, the faces of these people, the foreboding, menacing faces that stared at Latimo, seeking to kill him. But Latimer was gazed upon the man in whose nostrils was breath and considered the face of Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth. He would not play small. He would not tamper with his master's message. He would not mind a merely human face, even the face of the earthly king, if that face bid him to look away from the, from the face of the king of heaven. So in this scenario, we see Latimer have the Holy Spirit allow him to be bold in such a way to 
basically preached the same sermon that he preached the week before that. And I'm not sure how this ends. I'm sure he probably got um, burdened. I don't know. But what, what we do know is that he was faithful to the Lord and he had courage and boldness to do that. And we might hear this story and say, wow, that's, that's amazing. But the same spirit that was in who is in us. And the same, more than that, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is living inside of us. So that means tomorrow morning when you speak to your colleagues or speak to your friends this week, we have a message that liberates and saves people. And we do not need to be controlled by the fear of men, but we can be controlled knowing that we are free in Jesus and that he has loved us in his beloved. Amen. Let me, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your holy word. Thank you, Lord, that your word is, is true and life-giving. And we thank you, Lord, that you love us. If we are in Jesus, if we are believers this evening, Lord, that you have set your affections upon us. And that there is nothing that we can do, Lord, that can make, that can make you love us more or love us less. We are fixed in your gaze. Lord, help us to not be controlled by the fear of man but to be bold and courageous this week. Help us, Lord, tomorrow as we speak to our colleagues. Help us to have a real sense, Lord, that you are with us. Give us opportunities to share Jesus with our friends and family. Knowing, Lord, that them coming to the Lord isn't ultimately up to us, but it's up to you. That you are the one who saves and that you are the one who sanctifies. We thank you for your word this evening. Amen.